10 and 11 to 14. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile." This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Carrie, for reading scripture lesson this morning. I want to thank the uh, worship band for leading us. Um, many of those people up here uh, lost everything in their homes. It's good to see you back up there. and glad to see you playing. We appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> uh, let's pray to God. Lord, as we gather in this place, thank you. Thank you for the church where we come together, we are embraced with smiles and love and encouragement. We become keenly aware that your presence is with us as we gather in your name. We just ask God that in this place, in this time, as we seek a nearness, an assurance of a hope to hang on to and comfort for where we are, that you just make this holy ground with the anointing of your spirit today. Come to us, Lord Jesus, and your Holy Spirit minister to us in this place. We offer our lives, we offer this moment to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I said, it is so good to uh, to be together again. Missed these last couple of weeks, meeting here in this space of, of the pathway service and Thank uh, those who have helped combine. We combined worship services last week. We've had a lot of testimonies about what's been going on. God has truly been moving in our midst and working among us. But I just want to commend you as a church for all the many ways that you have been the hands and the presence of Christ to those in need in this community and beyond. And everywhere I go, uh, I'm hearing people comment on how they have experienced the love and they've experienced help from the many actions of generosity and kindness that have been given uh, throughout these last couple of weeks. Uh, when this storm hit, you remember that we were in the midst of a series of sermons where we were talking about how we should be loving our neighbor. <laughs> I promise you, I had, I had no idea that we were going to be tested on that so quickly. But here, here's the thing, you have passed the test. <laughs> you have passed the test in remarkable ways. You have been loving your neighbor. And I just, I just thank you for, for being the church being the church. I mean, uh, you've done an awesome job. Uh, you responded well to the task of, um, of dealing with recovery and relief efforts, perhaps from uh, rescuing and, and housing victims when they first happened, to supporting and caring for the emergency personnel people in our community, to preparing food. And I don't know how many tons of food have gone out of here that we've done uh, uh, for uh, mucking homes and receiving and distributing relief supplies. 
for the work that you've been doing in donating and sharing of your time, your resources, to help us in this ministry, for praying uh, for the victims, praying for the workers, and for all those involved in this time of crisis. You, know, what, you, you have surpassed anything that we could have possibly imagined as a disaster relief in the life of this church. It's just truly been remarkable. But I think all of us know, as Dan mentioned, we're looking at a three to five year. This this is a long-term process. The needs are going to go on for a long time. We've all been running on a sense of adrenaline the last couple of weeks as we uh, desperately dealt with crisis after crisis and trying to just help people in, in such great need. But the truth is, we can't sustain that pace. And thank God we don't have to. Because um, this, this is the most intensive part, the stage of disaster recovery. And there's still got a, there's a lot to do. A lot of homes out there where people are just on the, the initial stage of things. We've got a lot to do, but the needs are going to change over time. And I will tell you from experience, the task ahead of us is going to take a different set of skills, a different set of resources, a different set of abilities. So if you've not been able to help us with mucking out of houses or delivering or, or handing out flood relief supplies, just, just hold on, hang on, uh, just wait. We're going to need your help in the days and the months ahead. For soon, <clears throat> the reality of people's circumstances is going to settle in. Before people can get to the business of restoring and rebuilding their homes and their lives, they're going to be dealing with the frustration of long waits for help. The frustration of dealing with insurance companies and FEMA and all the many agencies that claim they're out there to help us. The loss of homes, jobs, possessions, properties, security, the rising expenses that people are going to be encountering. All these things lead to tremendous stress, tremendous anxiety. And the longer that that goes on, it just begins to take its toll. It takes its toll on individuals. It takes its toll on marriages, on families on all of our relationships. That's why after every disaster like this, we always, always see a spike, a rise in the number of people dealing with depression, the number of suicides, numbers of divorces. Uh, we see people uh, doing uh, irrational behaviors, uh, road rage, uh, uh, being snippy toward each other, short-tempered, even violence. That's the new uh, disaster that we will have to begin to deal with. And as I said, that's going to take a different set of uh, resources, a different set of skills and abilities. Because what people are going to be dealing with now and in the future is really a sense of hopelessness. Hopelessness. And that's going to require that we start to be able to become good listeners. We're going to have to listen to our neighbors a lot more. It's going to require uh, empathizing and consoling and, and a lot of patience with one another. It's going to require offering guidance and resources that can truly shine light in the midst of people's darkness. It's going to require offering things like counseling and um, resources there, encouraging others. It's going to require a lot of grace, a lot of grace for one another. Because people are really going to be living in what we call a state of exile. Exile. That's a term we're familiar with, I think. Some literally are in that place uh, where they have been literally displaced from their homes. They're living outside. The home we, one of the homes we worked on yesterday, after we got three, we said, well, where are you going for the night? He says, my truck. I'm sleeping in my truck. And 
the story of so many who have been literally displaced from their homes or shelters. Others, it's the way that the world has been turned upside down and nothing seems the same. They don't really think it's ever going to be the same. But you know, our faith has something to offer those who are living in exile, those who are feeling hopeless. So, as I was thinking about this, the words of the prophet Jeremiah came to mind. And in his day and time, he was facing a different kind of exile, but the feelings of hopelessness, I think, are the same. To a people who had literally no sense of hope. I mean, after what the Babylonians did to the Jews in his day, there was just absolutely no conceiving of hope that they would be restored to their homeland. And yet it was in the midst of this utter hopelessness that Jeremiah began to prophesy a promise of hope. And that's, that's what I want us to focus on today. You may remember that on July 18, 587, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon marched down upon Jerusalem and he literally destroyed the city. He, burnt, he tore down the temple of God and, and burned it to the ground. Thousands of Jews were slaughtered. Uh, people watched friends and neighbors. And then um, it, was just, it was horrible. You know, thousands of Jews were slaughtered. The king, of Zedekiah, king, king Zedekiah, who was the king of Judah in that day and time, was uh, captured. He was brought before, and all of his family, all of his friends were killed in front of him. Then they put out his eyes, so that would be the last thing that they'd ever see. And then they bound him, and they put him in the front of the line. They led all the people out to exile to a foreign land. And for 50 years, Judah was no more. It's, it's kind of hard to imagine what they must have been feeling like in that day and time. To have seen the temple of God, their sense of hope, crumbled and burnt to the ground, their whole city destroyed, thousands of people, their family, their friends, members, all killed, and then to be hauled off with this smoldering smoke behind them. I can't imagine what that would be like. I, perhaps, perhaps those who have lost everything in this uh, flood can sense a part of maybe what those people in Jerusalem felt like in that day and time. Some of the Jews, of course, they escaped. They fled to Egypt and uh, didn't encounter the wrath of Babylon. Some of us escaped. <laughs> Others were left behind, uh, like Jeremiah. Um, he was actually, King Zedekiah had put him in prison. <clears throat> and, uh, he didn't like what uh, Jeremiah had to say. So he was in prison when King Nebuchadnezzar and his army came through. They figured Jeremiah must not be too good of a guy, so they left him behind. And um, it was during this time that those <clears throat> who were left behind, as they began to walk among the rubble, of the city of Jerusalem. <clears throat> they wrote things like we find in Lamentations chapter 1. How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. All her gates are desolate. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food. Her downfall is appalling. There's no one to comfort her. A number of the psalms that we have in our scriptures were written during this time as well, like Psalm 137, where we read, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and there we wept, when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for song, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How? How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? 
any of those feelings, sounds feel familiar to any of you? If not yet, pay attention. You will hear them in the days and the months, even years ahead. Because such is the cry of hopelessness that we often find in times of exile. I mean, people have lost their homes. They've lost their property. They've lost their possessions. They've lost their dreams. Some have lost jobs, and they don't know if they're going to get something like that back or another job. They don't know what the future holds. And, and many people, over time, lose their sense of hope that anything is going to get any better. Such are the cries of those living in exile. See, the truth is, all of us have been there, or maybe we will be at some point. All of us experience times of exile in our lives. It's not that you have to have your world turned upside down by a flood. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of circumstances in life that leave us feeling hopeless. What do you find? When you find yourself living in the midst of exile, feeling no sense of hopeless, there's only one place that you can turn, and that is to God and placing your trust in God. And we have to remember, we have to call to our mind those passages of Scripture that we find in God's Word that bring us hope, that promise us hope. Words like we find in Lamentations chapter 3, when he's walking through the ruins of the city of Jerusalem, he says, The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. You know what it's like to just be consumed with the thought of how bad your situation is. You've got a lot of people out there feeling that way right now. It consumes you. But I love this part of the passage. It says, but I call this to mind. Call this to mind. It reminded me of that passage of the prodigal, the prodigal son story, where the son was living, found himself living in the midst of a pig pen. And it says, he came to his senses. I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I mean, he's walking through the rubble of the city that is destroyed. There's, there's nothing left. And he's speaking words of hope. And, and get this. It's not because his, his external circumstances have changed. Nothing's changed in his, his, his circumstances here. This is a statement of faith. He says, I choose to believe that even as I walk here in the midst of this rubble, the, the destroyed the destruction that I see, I choose to believe that God has not abandoned me. I choose to believe that I worship a God of the second chance, a God of new beginnings. His mercies, they are fresh every morning. I choose to trust in God, and I will call these things to mind, and therefore I will have hope. He's talking about hope for the hopelessness here, isn't he? And the only way for us to have hope when we find ourselves in the midst of such hopelessness is to put our trust in God, to trust, and to hold on to that. You and I know that when we're walking through times of exile in life, there really only is two responses we can make to that situation when it comes to our relationship with God. When you're going through hell on earth, you can turn your back on God. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that are speaking words that um, indicate that. 
you can respond in ways that say, you know, I just can't believe in a God, a good and loving God who would let something like this happen. I can't believe in a God who would allow things like this to happen. And so they turn their back on God. Tragedy has a way of shaking our faith. Many of us have questioned whether or not there is a God or we question our belief in God when we've walked through those times of exile and felt hopeless. But here's the thing. When you turn your when you turn away from God, when you're in the midst of exile and hopeless, then, then you truly have no hope, right? I mean, where else are you going to turn? What else do you have to place your trust in? What are you placing your trust in? So some people turn away from God, but others respond like we read here in these, this writer of Lamentations. They hold on with white knuckles to the promises that God gives us. Standing there in the midst of the rubble, they choose, they call to mind the steadfast love of God that is new every morning. His mercies and his blessings, his promises of hope. That's what Isaiah, the prophet, is talking about in that section of his book from chapters 40 through 55. That's a section that we believe was written directly to the the, uh, exiles in the time of Babylon. And you know these words very well because Handel put them to the beautiful music of the Messiah where he says, Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid. And then he says this, a voice cries out. A voice cries out. It cries out in the midst of the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for your God. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. What an audacious claim to make. I mean, here these people are in exile, and it's inconceivable for them to imagine overcoming the mighty Babylon army and getting back to their homeland. Inconceivable. It's not humanly possible. But in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11, he says, Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord. <laughs> I love that. You know, we believe in a God who is able to redeem the worst of human circumstances. And he's going to redeem this circumstance that we're in today. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Then in chapters 29 through 33 of Jeremiah, that, those chapters there, it's, it's where you know, just joy just kind of breaks out. It can't be contained. And our scripture passage today in chapter 29, God says, Surely I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. This is actually part of a letter that Jeremiah was writing directly to the exiles in Babylon. And he was addressing an issue with them. There were prophets that were with them in Babylon who were telling them, don't lose hope. Uh, The Egyptians are going to come and they're going to rescue you. They're going to deliver us. Jeremiah says, they're lying to you. That's not going to happen. He says, you're actually going to be in exile for a long time. And that's not what they wanted to hear, right? Uh, it, It was not good to them at all. But he was right. They would live in Babylon for 60 years. And you know, that's how it is sometimes in life. I don't know about you, but when I pray, I want God to fix it now. You know, that's, that's how, We want God to fix this. We want God to take care of this now. But that's not what we often see in Scripture. I mean, the Israelites were slaves for 400 years. The Jews were exiled for 60 years. So Jeremiah says to them, live out your faith 
where you are for the time being. Trust in God. Be faithful in God. Live on. Do what you've got to do. But know that the day will come when I will bring you back. And you will return, says the Lord. And knowing that and trusting in that able, enable them to be sustained in this time of exile. They found hope in that promise. I love those words. Know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plan for your welfare, not to harm you. God didn't bring the flood to harm us. Rather, he says, I am here to give you a future with hope. Folks, I believe that's the word that God speaks to us today. Whatever our circumstances are, and some of us have been affected indirectly, some of us have been affected directly by this, God says, if you will turn to me, if you will trust in me, I promise to give you a future with hope. With hope. I know that people are scared right now. I know that many are suffering and they're unsure what the future holds. But I know that the end of this story that we're in right now is going to end redemptively. Because God is in the business of redeeming circumstances that we face in life. God is going to help us get through this. He's not finished with our circumstances. He's going to help us get through this, whatever it might be. I believe that God has a plan for us. He's going to prosper us. He's going to bless us. He's going to get us through this. We're going to overcome. In fact, the reason that this passage is a scripture dealing with exile or is so meaningful to us is that exile will never have the last word upon our lives. The worst that can happen to us will never be the final word for our lives. God always offers us a future of hope. May not happen as fast as we want it to. Sometimes it doesn't even happen on this side of eternity. But with God, there's always, always hope. I think this is what Jeremiah was saying to the people who were living in exile in his day. In Jeremiah 33, he says, Thus says the Lord, In the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without inhabitants, human or animal. And I've been in some of those neighborhoods. You have too lately. There shall once more be heard the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness. The voice of the bridegroom and voice of the bride. The voices of those who sing as they, break, they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. He's saying that the temple, the city was de- that was destroyed, it's going to be rebuilt and life is going to come back and there's going to be singing. So he says, give thanks to the Lord of hosts. For the Lord is good for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of this land. Or here in Louisiana, we've seen that prophecy come true time and time again with hurricanes and uh, floods that have happened here. We've seen it. Uh, it's different when it happens to you, <laughs> of course. But we've seen how people have overcome past. And we will look at their stories and we realize that God is, God is going to redeem this. We will, we will rebuild. We will overcome. Life will continue. We see how people of the past who lost everything now are living with a new future. They have, they have lives of joy in their heart. They, they, things aren't the same as they were, but we see how their lives were redeemed and recovered and, and they moved on. The same will be true for us. What often happens in the midst of times of exile is we begin to think that nothing's ever going to change. It's always going to be this way. And that leads to depression. There are a lot of people who are struggling with depression right now and will be in the days ahead. 
Depression is born out of a sense that having no hope that everything's going to ever get any better. But we as God's people know that's not true. We know that with God there's always hope. The bottom line, this tragedy will not define our lives. But how we respond to it will. The people of Jeremiah's day chose to hold on to the promises of God. And in 539 B.C., something amazing happened. <laughs> the king of Cyrus, King Cyrus of Persia, marched upon the Babylonians and conquered them. And then in uh, 538 B.C., he offered an edict in which he allowed all of the Jews to go back home. He even gave money for them to rebuild their temple and to rebuild their city. <laughs> what was humanly impossible through the forces of history, God accomplished. So the people returned to Zion, singing, just as Jeremiah had promised. Listen, depending on our circumstances, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next week or next month that we see uh, redemption take place, but hear these words, there's always hope with God. When we place our trust in God, the message of Jeremiah was that God has not abandoned us. He's not abandoned you. He's going to be with you. And if you place your trust in him, and we together continue to be the church, there will always be a future of hope. God, you know each individual here, each circumstance, each family. And you love each one. Your heart breaks for the pain and suffering that's going on. Continue, Lord, to use us as your presence to those in need, to one another. And God, help us to place our trust in you. It's hard in the midst of this for some people to see a future of hope, and yet we know that it's there. Amen, I can see it coming. But we choose to trust in you. Help us to be that voice of hope that shines in the light of the darkness around us. Send us forth, God, as your church, as your people, the hands and the feet of the voice of Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name.